Joan Clover and Liz Rosardo get extra credit in heaven and on earth for sitting so close to me this morning. Okay, so those of you who sit in the back, I love you too. But those who sit up front, I love even more. Okay? <laughs> um, as we're scattered, like if we move closer together, we actually hear each other's voices. We feel that we're worshiping in the midst of the congregation of the Lord. So I would encourage you to fill the church up from the front to the back. Okay? Uh, I'm going to say that many, many pastors have said that in many churches. I've been, you know, going through the minutes of, of our church and uh, when... Pastor Elliot arrived, I guess that was 1981, 1982, uh, one of the first things he did was he said, I'm going to rope off the back six pews of the church. Okay, how did that work out, Rich Good? The, the next month, he, I heard, I read in the session minutes, well, he, he had abandoned that project. Um, I said the same thing when I arrived. Uh, it's very strange uh, being up here on the chancel leading in worship and people are a football field away. We've taken care of those uh, back six pews and we've reallocated that, purpose, uh, that space for other purposes. But I would encourage you uh, to gather uh, with the people that you love uh, and to not make your pastor feel so alone up here. So next week, you're going to scooch up a little bit. Our second reading this morning is from... 1 John chapter 3, I'm just going to read the first three verses. Hear the word of God. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself as Christ is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, uh, you have called us here, uh, and we have responded in faith and in obedience. We thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you that you have commanded that one day a week be set aside for the purpose of refreshing ourselves and worshiping you. We thank you for those who have gathered here in this sanctuary. We pray for those who were not worshiping uh, this day. I pray that this day would not be a day of rest for them. I pray that you would uh, be a gadfly uh, to those who are neglecting your, uh, uh, your uh, worship services. And I pray that you would drive them back to the people of God where they belong. Lord, I pray that you would uh, empower us as the people of God uh, by the Spirit of God, to hear the Word of God, and to be able to do the work of God in this world. I pray that you would make your church strong, that you would encourage your church, that you would build up your church, that you would send a revival to this church, and that you would revive us individually. 
Lord, for those of us who have lived in the faith for many years, uh, we confess that there are times when our faith flags. We pray that you would fan the flames of our love of Christ. I pray that we would return to our first love and that we would uh, be enraptured with you, that we would be smitten with you, that we would be in love with you. Lord Jesus, you have died on a cross to claim a people for yourself. You loved us enough that you shed your own blood for us. You loved us when we were not lovable. You have given us the ability to respond to your love with our love in return. You have, by the power of your Holy Spirit, given us the faith that we need uh, to grab hold of you. And by that faith, you have united us with Christ. Lord, I pray that we would live in the fullness of that reality. Lord, we confess that there are parts of our lives right now, this morning, that are not in conformity with your will. You have given us everything that we need to live in your will and in your way, and yet there's part of our lives which is out of order. Lord, I pray that you would set us straight. I pray that you would allow us to persevere to the end. Lord, I pray that you would make us a holy and a separated people. Lord, I pray that for our blessing because our lives are better and sweeter and happier and more joyful when we are living according to your will and in your love. But I also pray it for your glory because you are honored and glorified in your church. We pray that this congregation would bring honor to Christ. We pray that our lives would bring honor to Christ. We pray that you would use the spotlight of your Holy Spirit to illuminate those darkened corners of our lives, those parts of our lives that we keep hidden, maybe even from ourselves, certainly from the world. Lord, you have redeemed us, and that means all of us. You have claimed us, our minds, our spirits. You've claimed our bodies. Anything that is in us that is not of you is impure, and we pray that you would purify us this day. Lord, we pray that we could lay our whole lives on the altar. We pray that there would be nothing separating us from you. And we pray that as we are enraptured with you, that we would also be enraptured with the bride of Christ. Lord, remove every division from among us. Lord, every place where there is saint against saint is a sign that there is sin within the body, and I pray that you would purify us of that sin. I pray that we would love you so much that we can love each other. Reveal to us this morning the depths of your love for us. Give us the faith and the courage to believe that you really do love us in a big way. 
May that become a living reality for us and not just uh, a theological doctrine. Lord, we pray for our numbers who are not able to be here this morning because of sickness or trial. We pray that you would be with Stephen Clark this day as he is in the hospital. We pray that you would heal his body, knit him back together, return him to the fellowship. Lord, for those who are in times of grief and times of loss, we pray that you would be an encouragement for them. Lord, I pray that if they are absent from the gathering of the saints here this morning, that the saints would be reaching out to them uh, this afternoon and in, in the week so that the fellowship would remain strong. Lord, you have not called us to be private Christians. You've called us into a body. Lord, I pray that we would take up our place in the body. Lord, I pray for Naomi Trask. I pray that you would heal her body. I pray that you would remove the cancer from her body. And Lord, as she undergoes treatment, I pray that you would make her strong in her spirit and in her body. I pray that she would have joy in the midst of trial. And Lord, I pray for her family for Rebecca and for Annie Laurie and for Dan who come alongside of her and support her and care for her in a special way during this time, I pray that they would be strengthened for the burden that they bear. Lord, have your way with us individually. Have your way with us as a congregation. We ask all of these favors in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen, amen. I just want to thank uh, Susan Clark. It was so great to hear the choir this morning. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. So those of you who uh, are not involved in the choir, I would encourage you to come out. Uh, I come out not because I add much to it, but because it's, it's a lot of fun. Like they're fun people and we gather here on Thursdays at, at 5 o'clock and we sing for about an hour and then we go home uh, and then we try it again on Sunday morning. So I don't know if it's a, if it's a ministry to you, but uh, I know that, that they're having an awful lot of fun while they're singing, so I would encourage you to be a part of that. I don't know if you noticed uh, it, but um, all three of our readings this morning talk about a special group of people. Each one of the three readings this morning talk about a group of people who are uh, separated from or distinguished from the rest of humanity. In our opening psalm, that group is called those who dwell uh, on God's holy hill or those who live in God's tabernacle, which should remind you of that closing line from the 23rd Psalm, which I'm sure you all know, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, that's who, that's who that Psalm 15 is also talking about. Those people who are going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a special group. In our reading from Exodus, the special group gets three names. God's treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And you, of course, know that the word holy in Hebrew simply means to be separated from uh, or set aside for a special purpose. And then, in our reading from 1 John this morning, um, that special group is called the, the children of God. Okay? The Bible talks about these separated people in a bunch of different ways, those who would dwell in the house of the Lord forever, those who are God's treasured possession, those who form a kingdom of priests, those who constitute a holy nation, those who are children of God. Pick the one that you like best. You might remember other uh, passages of Scripture which describe uh, those, those, special, those special people. The Apostle John is writing uh, to the people in in a number of churches. They were part of what you might call his diocese. He was like the bishop. Um, And all all of those people were in what we call Turkey today. And he calls them beloved. He's not just saying that he loves them. I mean, I, I think he does love them, but he's saying that they're loved by God, that these are people who are loved by God. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That's what we read. I think the NIV translation is a little bit better uh, on, on this. There we read, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. Let me say a couple of quick things uh, before I actually get into this sermon just to keep in, in the back of our mind. First, not everyone is a child of God. And let me, let me say that again. Not everyone is a child of God. Everyone is made by God. God is the creator of everyone. But when God calls some people his children, he is making a distinction between them and other people. To be a child of God means to belong to this special group. Second, if you're not a child of God, you can be. Everyone who is a child of God has been adopted into that family. No one is born a child of God. You have to be adopted as a child of God. We're going to talk at the end of the sermon about how you can become a child of God if you are not already. And third, some people who are children of God need to be reminded of how much God loves them. How do I know that? Well, because the Bible always gives us what we need or what we lack. The Bible says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us because some of us are not seeing that. Some of us who are children of God are walking around like unloved orphans. John is writing to his people. John is writing to people that he loves. He's writing them to them to remind them 
of what maybe they know someplace in their brain or maybe they've got it in their theology books but they're not feeling it in their hearts. He's reminding them that God loves them. Let me tell you two quick things before I move on. Number one, I love you. I really do. Now, some of you are old enough to be my father or to be my mother, and you're not going to like this when I say it, but it's true. But when I think about you, I think about you the way I thought about my babies when I could carry them right here, like a football. That's how I think about you. I worry about you. I pray for you in the morning and I pray for you at night. I think about how how can I serve you better. I want to guard you and protect you. I want to feed you and encourage you and see you grow and flourish in the Lord. I want you to be happy and strong and productive and content. I hope that doesn't sound silly, but it's true. I love you. But here's what's more important. God loves you. Those of you who are children of God, God really loves you. And the Apostle John, whom Jesus loved, John wanted his people to see, to comprehend, to grasp, to get, to really believe that God had a great love for them and that he lavished this love on them, his children. When we are born again, we are adopted into the family of God. And a whole bunch of stuff comes with that adoption, including the love that the father has for his adopted children. Now let's talk about this separation. We've seen these descriptions. Those who dwell in the house of the Lord forever, those who are God's treasured possession, those who form a kingdom of priests, those who constitute a holy nation, those who are the children of God. That's the special group whatever description you apply, they are the separate group, but what is it that they're separated from? Whatever whatever it is that they're separated from, we need to be alert to so that we don't confuse our home as being that. Right after John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that he should call us the children of God. John then immediately goes on to say, the reason the world does not know us is is that it didn't know him. The Bible teaches that there are two kinds of people. The children of God and the world. Now, of course, God created the whole world. He made all of the people. But God distinguishes between the world in general and the separated special people. In Exodus, God says to his people, you shall be my treasured possession among all of the people, for all of the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy separated nation. All of creation belongs to God, of course. All of the people belong to God, of course. But out of that world in general, God calls a people to be separated to him, to be special for him, to be adopted as his children. In Revelation 
chapter 7, verse 9, we have the scene in heaven where the kingdom of God is present at the end of time and all of the saints are there. And what we are told is that in that kingdom there will be individuals from every nation and every tribe and every language. I don't know how many nations and tribes and languages there are in the world, but what that image that we have in Revelation chapter 7 tells me is that no single nation, no single language, no single culture has a lock on what it means to be a Christian. What that tells me is that above all else, our allegiance must not be to our nation or to our tribe or to our language, but our allegiance must be to Jesus Christ who is over all, who is above all, who is not just the king of middle-class people in Montgomery County, but who's the king of kings. It's interesting to note that the two nations in the world with the largest Christian populations, which are the United States and Brazil, that both of these nations are mixed up nations, nations made of people from all over the world. Out of the whole world, God calls individuals to be part of his holy nation, a kingdom of priests, all kinds of people joined together swearing allegiance to the one God who is the creator and lawgiver and redeemer and father. On Friday and Saturday, a bunch of people uh, from HVPC uh, went to Presbytery um, to see Pastor Bruno Suso be welcomed into the Presbytery uh, of the East in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. As you know, um, in our denomination, the local churches uh, come together uh, in something that's called a presbytery, um, and the presbytery oversees ordinations and and things like that. It's sort of like our our legislature and our uh, Supreme Court mixed together. So uh, on Friday, uh, Bruno was was brought before the presbytery, uh, he, by the way, has been a member of the Presbyterian Church in Brazil, a denomination, by the way, that's five times larger than our denomination, um, and he was in the process of leaving that denomination and coming into our denomination. The Presbyterian Church in Brazil, by the way, uh, traces its origin back to a man from Pennsylvania. His name was Ashbel Green Simonton, And he had gone to Princeton Seminary, and after he had come out of seminary, he was ordained, and he immediately went into the mission field, and he went to Rio de Janeiro, and he started the very first Presbyterian church uh, in Rio. That church uh, formally came into being in January 1862, so about six months after this church was founded, uh, was when uh, the church, uh, the Presbyterian church in, in Brazil was formed. On Saturday, we saw the examination of Bruno. He did a terrific job. Um, Rich Good uh, was at 
my examination, uh, Don Timberg, your brother, was uh, at my examination as well. That was seven years ago. When I was examined, um, there were 17 no votes. So you have to, they vote yes or no whether or not to ordain this guy. 17 people in the presbytery said, said no, which I admired them for that. Uh, Bruno, zero voted against him. Unanimous vote of approval for this man. Now, I've been, I've been uh, going to Presbytery a number of years, and I'm, I'm waiting to see the fellow who had 18 no votes. I haven't yet to meet him. Okay, so at this point, I'm, I'm the worst pastor in the Presbytery of the East. But Bruno did a terrific job. I mean, he was, he was very crisp, very clear. Um, he was the most Presbyterian man in that room. It was very clear uh, of God's calling on his life and on his calling to this church and to this ministry. One of the other pastors that was being uh, examined and ordained was is Pastor Omar, who is from Ecuador and, and currently uh, serves a church over in New Jersey. He was asked a question about the kingdom of God. Um, there is, and Pastor Omar talked about the already and not yet quality of the kingdom of God. There's something about the kingdom of God that it's already here, but yet we're still kind of waiting for it. You remember that Jesus, when he starts his ministry, says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He says the kingdom of God is in your midst. When we're born again, we become citizens of the kingdom of God, and yet the kingdom of God is not consummated. It's still yet to come. There's still more, there's still more to be revealed. John, in his uh, passage of scripture that we read this morning, talks a little bit about this. John writes, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay? Those of you who were born again believers in Christ are already part of the kingdom of God. But the way that you are is not the completed story. All right, so don't get comfortable. Right? Don't think that you have arrived. You have you've not arrived. Okay? Thank God you're on the train because you were born again, but you have not arrived at the destination. What we will be has not yet appeared. There's more to come. Are you thinking about this? Are you thinking about what you're going to be? All right? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, that means Jesus, when Jesus appears, we shall be like Jesus. Woo! Are you ready to be like Jesus? Have you thought about that? Okay? Have you thought about the gap between where you are now and where you need to be? Which brings us to the question of what it is that we need to be doing uh, as we prepare for that day. There are a lot of things that we need to be doing in this time of waiting. A bunch of things are going to happen when Jesus returns. We're going to get this new body. Okay, It's going to be a resurrected body. It's going to be a glorified body. I mean, if, if we're alive when, when Jesus uh, sh- shows up, uh, our body won't, won't die. It'll just, it'll just be transformed. Um, but 
we're going to get a new body, and it's going to be a different kind of body, but it's going to be similar to this one. It's, you know, it's going to be able to eat and drink, uh, but it won't die. Think of all the time that we spend praying for and worrying about people who are sick. We're not going to be doing that anymore. Okay? We're going to have a glorified body. We're going to be like him. Jesus has a body. Okay? Jesus lives in a resurrected body. He has a glorified body. Jesus is not a spirit floating around on a cloud someplace. And when Jesus comes back, uh, we will see him in his glorified body and our body will become uh, like Jesus' body. So what should we be doing in the meantime? We're in the already but not yet. We're in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God has not been consummated in us. What do we need to be doing in the meantime? Well, what we need to be doing is we need to be obeying God and living according to God's word. God gives us his law as not a means of salvation, but as instructions for the Christian life. Okay? We know that we're saved by grace, but once we're saved by grace, we need to be living according to God's law. We need to be doing uh, what we know that God wants us to do. John says, everyone who thus hopes in Christ, okay, namely all of those children of God, purifies himself as Christ is pure. They're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but in this life, in, in this time of waiting before Jesus returns, what they're supposed to be doing is purifying themselves. How do we purify ourselves? Well, we live according to God's law. If everyone were to operate according to God's law, we would all leave, per, lead perfectly pure lives. In our, uh, what was it called? Called worship this morning. Pull out your bulletin. We're going to look at it. The call to worship this morning, I don't know if you noticed it, actually is a presentation of the law of God. And by the way, any presentation of the law of God that you see in Scripture, any like these lists of commands, will always be partial. Okay? Likewise, all of the lists of sins, they're always partial. And so here's, here's another list um, uh, of how to live. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? In other words, who are the people of God? Okay, who's going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? And now here we get the description. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. That's the one who's going to live in the house of the Lord forever. We, we know what we're supposed to be doing. All of us have an innate sense of the law of God. Many of us have been instructed in the word of God. We know what we should be doing. And we know what we shouldn't be doing. And those who walk in the way that they're supposed to be doing, those are the ones. He who speaks truth in his heart. You may have noticed that there are some people, maybe they're all lawyers who are able to speak um, words that are technically true or technically legal, but somehow twist the heart of truth. We're called to live transparent lives. If we're living the way we're supposed to be living, we don't have to hide. The fact that we have something to hide 
is an indication that something is wrong, which is, and out of that, you have this, this need for untruth or dissimulation or lying, okay? So he who speaks truth in his heart, he who does not slander with his tongue, think about how much damage is done in this world by people bad-mouthing each other, all right? As Christians, we are called to speak in a way that is edifying for other people. Think about how much of the entertainment industry, think about how much of talk radio, think about how much of of social media is all about trashing other people. And we cheer with them, don't we? Yeah, he told them like it is. Be careful. Slander is not the Christian way. People who make their living by slandering other people are not Christians. We should not patronize them. Fourth, uh, or maybe it's fifth, uh, fourth, he who does no evil to his neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Well, Jesus says it's everybody. He who does not take up a reproach against his friend. What are we to do with our friends? We're to bear with them. We're to be long-suffering. All right? That's our calling as Christians. Think about, think about the, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Number six, he in whose eyes a vile person is despised. Now, this one might be surprising to you. That Christians, children of God, are supposed to despise some people. All right? Some people are vile. We should not be honoring them or praising them. Okay? If they're vile, we need to despise them. And that's matched with the next one, with, with uh, number seven. He who honors those who fear God. Do we honor the people who are actually walking in God's way? Are those the people that we think well of? We think, that's a good person. I admire them. I'm going to sing their praises. Number eight, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. You know, the reason for a contract is to bind you when you don't want to do that thing. That's why in the wedding vows it says for better or for worse. Why does it say that? Because worse will come. And it's in that moment that you need the binding of the contract. When you're wildly in love, you don't, need, you, don't, you don't need the marriage vows. The marriage vows are what hold us in place when our heart is not in it. As Christians, we are called to live by our promises. We are called to be people of our word. Jesus actually instructs us to not use oaths at all, but that whenever we say yes, we really mean yes, and we stick with it. And when we say no, we really mean no, and we stick with that one too. He who does not put out his money at interest. It's something that we probably don't study enough, but you know the Old Testament has an economic system. And in that economic system, there are structures in place that prevent rich people from exploiting poor people. Poor people have it hard enough, right? And so the law of God requires that rich people not take advantage of poor people. A, uh, an example that would absolutely violate uh, uh, the Old Testament law are payday loans and uh, high 
interest rate credit cards that are offered to poor people. These are systems in place that make poor people poorer uh, and make, uh, make the lender richer. Uh, it's absolutely for, forbidden in, in the law of God. And number, number 10, he who does not take a bribe against the innocent. This is talking about justice in the courts of law. All right. Uh, you know, what's the expression? The, the golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rule. This is what we don't want to happen. We don't want people who have more wealth or more power to be able to get more justice in the courts. Any person should be able to come to the court and be treated fairly. Here are 10 laws for how to live our lives as Christians. These are things that we need to be doing in this in-between time. The time is coming when Christ will appear, we will discover who it is that we really are because we're going to get this glorified body. It's going to be nice, all right? But in the meantime, um, these are the things that we need to be doing. All right, Jay, I was going to have you help me, but we're we're going to hold because we're out of time. We'll do it next week, all right? Here's what I want to ask ask you about. Uh, Scripture describes two kinds of people. It talks about the world, people in general, and it talks about the children of God, people who've been drawn out of the world and been separated. Where do you see yourself? Are you one of just the the general people in the world, or do you see yourself as having been chosen, selected, and entered into a special relationship with God? Okay? We become children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to heaven. There's no other way to Father, to the Father except through Jesus. The way it is that we become a Christian is as we repent of our sin, we turn to Christ for forgiveness, uh, and we promise to follow him all the days of our lives. If you've done that, and if you've professed that publicly, then, then you are one of the children of God. If you haven't, Talk to me, because we need to make sure that you can do that, because it's really, really important. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and adore you. Uh, Lord, teach us to love you uh, as you've loved us. Lord, convince us of your love for us. Enable us to love one another, uh, our neighbors and our families, the way that you have called us uh, to love them. Lord, forgive us when our hearts are hard. Forgive us. Uh, when we have been uh, deaf and dumb and blind to you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to send your Holy Spirit uh, into our lives. I pray that you would pry open uh, our hearts and fill us with your love. Lord, we have no hope outside of you. We are lost if we're not in you. And so I just pray for your mercy. I pray uh, for, uh, for your sustaining grace. We ask these favors in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's stand now.